namely that antidepressants often do not do what they promise and are in fact causing harm to many. It's time for a wellness revolution. Brought to you by Hotsey Health and Wellness Center. Honest discussion on maintaining health and wellness naturally to enjoy a better quality of life. He's the doctor fighting to let you keep your doctor. Now, Dr. Stephen Hotsey. Welcome to Dr. Hotsey's Wellness Revolution. This is Stacey Banfield here with Dr. Stephen Hotsey, founder of the Hotsey Health Wellness Center. Just a reminder, you can download our podcasts on HotzePodcast.com. That's H-O-T-Z-E Podcast.com. And Dr. Hotzey, we have such a great, great guest on today. I'm so excited to hear more about him. So why don't you share with the audience who we have on tap? Well, it's our pleasure today to have from the northeast corner of the United States, Paul Brown. Paul Brown is an expert in entrepreneurial uh, development and business success. He's co-authored numerous books uh, on business and entrepreneurship. The book I am most enamored with that he has uh, written with Carl Sewell of uh, Sewell Motors up in Dallas is the book entitled Customers for Life. Now, what I want to do in this program is encourage each one of you who is either in sales or own your own business or would like to own your own business to listen up. The book that was written is called Customers for Life. And he wrote that with Carl Sewell. And so without any further introduction, I want to welcome Paul Brown to the show. Thank you, Paul, for joining us. Yes, welcome. You know, you, you know, my mother doesn't talk about me in such terms, so <laughs> I'm thrilled to be here. Well, Paul, share with us how you became, you, gra- you graduated from an Ivy League school. You're up there, you graduated from Rutgers, you're up in the Northeast. How is it that you became, did you study business in college? Did you study entrepreneurship? Uh, how did you get interested in <laughs> entrepreneurship and business success? Uh, because I was the world's worst actor. That's how I ended up doing this. I, w- I was a theater arts major, history minor, and I was all convinced I was going to be the next great actor. This is in the mid-70s. I go audition for Yale School of Drama, because that's how you get into drama school, and the audition goes really well, and I'm going, oh, great, I'm going to be an actor. And then I walked around campus, and you got to remember, this is now the mid 70. late 70s, yeah. and every single guy who was going to go to drama school at Yale looked like Robert Redford. <laughs> they all looked like Robert Redford, and I don't. And then I said, well, let me sit on their auditions, because you could do that. People sat in online, I could sit on there. So I'm watching these guys who look like young Robert Redford's act, and said, my God, they can act! <laughs> so they're gorgeous. And they can act. I'm not gorgeous, and believe me, I really couldn't act. And so I said I had I had to get a job. And so w- what was happening was I worked on the college paper, and what they usually do, they ha- the big city papers in the area have kids on the college pa- uh, paper help them out, you know, fill in at a basketball, cover a basketball game. If there's something happening on a weekend, they don't want to send a reporter. They have one of the... The kids on the college paper do it. They're called stringers. So I was stringing 
for the biggest paper in New Jersey, and I was doing a lot of stuff because my senior year, the basketball team went undefeated. It was the last time Rutgers basketball was any good. Um, <laughs> it, there were race riots in the streets. The <laughs> university president kept getting heart attacks. So I was in the New York Star-Ledger basically six days a week my senior year. And one day the suburban editor, the woman with whom I was working, said, that was a really nice job on the story you did an XYZ, you'll have no problems getting a job on a newspaper when you graduate. And um, I had just come back from Yale and said, mm-hmm. well, I'm not going to drama school. And she said that, and I said, is that a job offer? Two days later, I'm meeting, meeting with the editor, and I swear I can do the entire interview in 10 seconds. He said, when do you graduate? I said, commencement's on Wednesday, such and such date. He said, that's really good, because our pay week starts on Thursday. Show up. Wow. And I, and that's and that's how I started doing this. I, to give you an idea, Stacy will appreciate this. Stacy is much too young. I I was writing features back then, which appeared on the woman's page of the paper. <laughs> oh, the woman's there page. Hmm. There you see. I told you, you you never knew there was such a thing, did you? But that's where they would put the recipes and and landers and you know. Oh gosh. Know, tips about yeah exactly. <laughs> So that so that's how I started as a feature writer on a newspaper, and through no fault of my own, I got hired at Forbes, and it's been all downhill since. <laughs> well, so you went over to Forbes, which was a big business magazine, and uh, it was it it was probably the I mean I I say this as a proud alum, but at the time, in the early eighties to mid eighties, it was it, it was a huge deal in business journalism. It was probably the best business publication out there. That's right. And you started writing in business articles, investigating I, business, I, I, I get. I did. And because, uh, you know, if you're a theater arts major, you don't take a whole lot of finance courses. So they, they took it easy on me. And so one of the things, this ties into what we're talking about, one of the things they had me do was write about on, entrepreneurs. At Forbes, it's called Up and Comers. And they figured, you know, I could relate to these people because invariably they were young and I was like the youngest staff writer in the history of the magazine. So I was young and the people were young and they were growing companies and I was too dumb to know how to grow a company so I could go and talk to them and say, huh, how come you did that? And that's, and that's how it all started, by just talking to entrepreneurs. And you learn business from entrepreneurs. Now, what, what, let me ask you this. You met a lot of people in your life. And uh, and a few of them are entrepreneurs. What differentiates, in your mind, an um, entrepreneur from all the other individuals you know? Okay, not only do I know a whole bunch of entrepreneurs, I married one. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, and we have four kids, and the baby is about to become an entrepreneur. <laughs> it's it's genetic in large part. I am convinced. I was talking the. The baby is Nicholas, and Nikki and I were talking about this at dinner the other night, and he asked me, well, what percentage of business folks are entrepreneurs or could be entrepreneurs? And he, you know, he asked his mom, who's an entrepreneur, and he asked me, and my wife said 5%, and I, I'm willing to give it maybe 10%, but it, but it's no more than that. It, it's, it's a couple of things. It's the unique ability to look at one thing and see another which may be the best definition of imagination I've ever heard. Entrepreneurs can do that. They can hold up a Dixie cup and say, no, it's not a Dixie cup, but it's a megaphone. No, it's not a megaphone, it's a telescope. No, it's not a, te-, whatever. They, they just do that intuitively. And the other 
thing that they do almost intuitively is they look at problems as opportunities. I need X. It doesn't exist. How frustrating is what I would say. My wife will say, I need X. It doesn't exist. Maybe we should start a company to provide it. And it's that those two things, the imagination component and the idea of solving problems that sets them apart. And it it really is a unique skill set. And entrepreneurs, because they do have this uh, imaginative outlook on things, that they're able to take concepts in one area of life and apply them to a completely different area of life, and they're able to uh, see problems as opportunities rather than as obstacles, and they figure ways around them and how to how to how to take those problems. And some people say that becomes the red meat for an entrepreneur. They love the problems because they want to figure out how to solve the problems. Because they do that, entrepreneurs, as a whole, tend to generate a lot of wealth for society, don't they? So it, it's. You mentioned I'm always working on a book, and one of the things I'm working on now is it's hopelessly data-driven, and I won't bore people with it. But it turns out that the only creators of wealth in this country, after the government, and we can argue if governments create wealth or, or not. Or whether, the they, or whether they steal wealth. <laughs> well, now, 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 now. Um, but the, uh, factoring the government out, um, the only people who generate wealth in this country are entrepreneurs. It's it's really what it is. And you say, well, it's big business. Well, once upon a time, Marriott was started by Mr. Marriott. I mean, yes, it's a, it's a big deal corporation, but it was started by an entrepreneur. So they do that, and and you, you see this in in your in your medical practice, right? That you saw an opportunity for a different kind of medical treatment. And the thing I love about it is, why don't we keep people well as opposed to treating them when they were sick? And then you build something up around that. Well, that's you're an entrepreneur, and this is what entrepreneurs do. So, yeah. And, and as you, you know, talk, I, I, as you as you talk about that, let me mention right now, at the Hotsey Health and Wellness Center, we believe that every individual walking on this planet deserves to have. A health coach, you need a physician and a staff of professionals that can coach you on the path of health and wellness naturally. So as you mature in age, you enjoy a better quality of life. So we have a simple program, Paul. We put people on a good healthy eating program. It's primarily yeast-free eating program and a paleo eating program, uh, which is meats, vegetables, and good oils primarily. And we cut out all the sugars and all the, all the junk food and all that out. Second thing, we replenish hormones. As we age, our hormones go down. Third thing we do is that we provide vitamins and minerals and nutrients, which are essential molecules that the body needs to detoxify and to maintain good energy production within the cells, as well as the hormones do the same thing. And then a good exercise program. We treat for allergies when indicated. So it's a simply a, a four-point program. But it's not just, it's not just uh, and, and I wanna go, I'm transitioning into Customers for Life. You wrote the book Customers for Life. And what it took to make customers for life. Before I tell you how we incorporated the ideas that you wrote about in that book, Customers for Life, which, by the way, folks, I don't know how many multiple editions is it. How many editions has it had? Oh, oodles, and it's just break news. well, it's three, and you get to break news on your podcast that 
Double J just asked us to update it for a fourth time. Listen, oh, I, wow. I, I took that book I with, had lunch the, with the editor yesterday. Oh, I, congratulations. I, I took that book years ago, and I can't remember when it was. It was in the 2000s. Took the book, and my, the president of my company and I outlined that book. It took all the key points out, and I've got that on a, I've got that on a uh, Word document, that whole book. And it, really, it, it, it had a profound influence on our life. So it's about customers for life, or if you're a lawyer, you're a client for life, or a doctor, patients for life. But my daddy, you know, it, it really rung back to what my daddy told me. My dad was a very successful entrepreneur, salesman and entrepreneur. And entrepreneurs tend to, when you say most entrepreneurs tend to be salespeople, they like to sell what their idea they're excited about it and they get other people excited well, about it even if they're not natural sales right yeah. and they're it's their passion that comes through about their idea well my dad was a very wonderful salesperson he's turned to me he said son if you want to be successful in business take your customers and make your customers your clients and then take your clients and make them your friends because then you'll have business for the rest of your life because friends always do business with friends and I've, if you take care of them, that's absolutely right. And so what was it that, how did you hook up with Carl Sewell? By the way, Carl Sewell is maybe the most successful automotive dealer in the whole country. Uh, I'm, I, I, if he's not, he's in the top two or three. Right. He's a, And he's out of Dallas, and he's got Sewell Motors, all different kinds of cars, different dealerships all over the state, all over the country. And he operates out of Dallas. And so, uh, as, as I told you before we started the program, when the president of the company and I, Monica Ludicky, read that book, we decided, let's go up and meet Carl Sewell. And we drove up and got an appointment and sat up and sat in his office and, and met with him, which was a very fascinating discussion. And I'll share something about it a little bit later. But how did you hook up with Carl Sewell? It is, it is, it is one of these great serendipity stories. So I was, I, when I left Forbes, I went over to Inc. and they let me do basically anything I wanted to do at Inc. And I wanted to do a piece on entrepreneurs who had become famous. Um, some people remember Debbie Fields, Mrs. Fields of Mrs. Fields Cookies. Uh, there's this, a re, um, grocery store guy. He, he, it's, I don't mean to demean him that way. Stu Leonard's in Connecticut who's a rock star on his thing. There was somebody on the West Coast, and I was looking around for people who were really well-known in the area. And Sewell, at that time, had three, they don't call them dealerships, they call them stores. He had three car dealerships in Dallas, and GM recognized he was a rising star, and they were going to do more and more stuff, and I, I sort of kind of knew who Sewell was. So I called him up, and I said, I'm doing this piece on what's it like to be famous, and I went down to Dallas. And he was gracious, and we did the interview, and my plane got canceled. I couldn't get back to New York. And he said, oh, well, we have, why don't you stay at the guest house? And I said, sure. And so we're having dinner. And he couldn't have been nicer about it. And he said, well, you write books. What are you working on? I said, I have this idea. you got to remember, this is about 1988, 1989. I have this idea that I think is going to work which is customer service is a business strategy. Now, at the time, the only people selling on service were Newman Marcus in Texas and Nordstrom's, which was only in Washington State in Oregon at the time. 
And I said, you know, I think this customer servicing is, is not a, a please and thank you. I think it's a real business strategy for exactly the reasons your dad told you. And I was telling this to Sewell, and he got this very strange look on his face, and he let me keep talking. And he said, hold on a second. And we're sit, you know, we'd been sitting at the dining room table. He walks into his office, and he comes out with a yellow legal pad, which basically had everything I just had said on it. Wow. He was thinking about how he was going to grow his business, and it was all about customer service and how it could be implemented, whatever. And I said to myself, okay, wait, if ever here's a moment. Here you got somebody like me, born and raised in the Northeast, who doesn't believe in please and thank yous because, you know, we're tough in the Northeast. Right. And here we have this guy, a car dealer in Texas, and you can't sell cars on customer service because everybody knows car dealers are bad people. And yet we've, we have both come up with basically the same idea. And I said, at that dinner with Carl, I said, hey, you want to do a book? And that that's really how it came about, all because I missed my plane. Isn't that an interesting story? Well, that book, I am sure it sold millions of copies. I don't know how many is I, it's over. It's over a million. Thank you. It, uh, I mentioned there are a bunch of kids. We own four kids, and it put all four of them through the very expensive colleges of their choice. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we contributed a small part to that because we bought we we bought that book for everybody on our staff. Read that book at one time on our staff for about twenty years. Everybody read a business book a month and wrote a book report. And the president of our company got the book reports and read them all. And and uh, we did that with Carl Sewell's book. So, let's talk about let's talk about customer service and what that means. What does that mean when you wrote about it? What does it mean to Carl uh, Sewell? How does he implement that? And why is that really important in building a? Why is that a business strategy? Why should it be? Okay, so you asked a whole bunch of questions here. So let me let me see if I can unbundle it. So when people think about customer service, they always go to the pleases and thank yous and your handwritten notes. No, it's not what it's about. It's not about answering the phone on three rings and it's not about what it's about. Customer service is whatever the customer wants it to be. My guess is in your medical practice, it's different than it is for Best Buy, which is different than it is for Nordstrom. So customer service isn't defined by you, it isn't defined by me, it isn't defined by Stacy. It's defined by whatever the customer wants it to be. Now, in Sewell's case, you know, we were talking about this, and I said, oh, well, you can't, you can't have salesmen jump on the customer when the moment they walk in the showroom. <laughs> Carl just looked at me and said, in all the years I've been selling cars, I have never gotten a note from somebody who said, my salespeople were too attentive and were too aggressive. I've got tons of notes from people who said, I walked around your showroom and nobody helped me. So at least in Sewell's dealership, people are showing up and they want help and they want somebody to walk them through the process. And the reason, the other part of your question, the reason is so important. I'll tell you a quick tale out of school. The, for the longest time, the book was going to be called The $332,000 Customer. I thought this was the greatest title in the history of Earth. You could tell I thought it up. <laughs> and the reason it was is when Carl and I started working on the book, 
the average price of a Cadillac, just to give you an idea how long ago it was, was $25,000, and his first store was a Cadillac store, and then he got Lexus, and Lexus was sort of at the same price point in 1990. And I said, okay, so what does that mean? He said, well, the car is $25,000 over time, if I hold on to a customer forever, they're going to buy 10 cars for me over the course of a lifetime. So it's $250,000. And you throw in all the service and body work and warranty and well changes and all that stuff. And it adds up to if Carl could, at that time, 1990, turn a one-time buyer, somebody who walked into the showroom, into a lifetime customer, that person was worth $332,000 to Sewell Automotive. Now, you know, factor in inflation because that's... Right. And, we, and, and you know, we call that lifetime value of a customer. Right. And What's that, the lifetime that, the way, value? was not a concept. LTV was not a concept in 1990. It was not. It, it came at later, and people kept saying, well, you know, customer service, that's an obvious thing. Well, nobody was doing it then, and lifetime value or long-term value, depending on where you went to business school, um, was not a thing. Was not a thing back then, and so that that was really the the key insight to me. That if you if you could do that, if you could get somebody who walks into your showroom or goes on your website or walks, you know, calls you up on the phone, and you can turn that person into first a customer and then a lifetime customer business is really good and so that's really how it all started well what so we've talked about that customer service is important what are the aspects of customer service that people are looking for what what are most people what do you think most people want that would be that could be generalized to uh, in in transported the concept could be transported to any and every business it, it, it's incredibly simple, and people don't think of it this way. What they want is a guy or a woman. And what I mean by that is while we're recording this, Christmas is coming, and I'm going to get my wife jewelry. I have a guy who I've been going to for years, and he, I go to Abe. He gives me a, a good price. He is not the cheapest by any way, sh whatever. Um, his store is not the fanciest. Quite frankly, Abe doesn't dress as well as he might, but he's the guy. He'll take care of me. I can go to him at the last minute and say, look, I know it's late, but I wanted to get Allie these sapphire earrings, and Abe, can you help me out? I've got a guy who will treat me fairly and make the problem go away, and that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants... Do you like your physician? Eh, he's okay. Wait, no, I love my physician. Why? Because I had this problem for me to go away or the health and wellness program really worked and I lost some weight and my knees don't hurt anymore. Or I've got a stereo guy. One of my kids is a music freak. And he wants the best stereo equipment. Well, my son has a guy. He's a stereo guy. And so what they want, what everybody wants is to be treated fairly and honestly and they want whatever problem they have to go away. So if you can make that problem for them go away and you treat them nicely and you treat them fairly and treat them with respect, you do really well. You don't have to you don't have to compete on price. You can't gouge them. But it is my jeweler Abe, you know, 
is he make could I get it a hundred dollars cheaper? Sure. Is my wife gonna like it as much? Probably not. Um, so that's really what they want. And I, I tell people that, and they go, they want a guy. And then, so, and then, they, th- then they think about stories in their own life. I have this, pro- you know, it's a baker. It's whatever it is. Um, and, and that's really what people are looking for. Well, this is what, we, this is what you say, really. Uh, let me underscore that. Uh, when you, people, people want somebody they can turn to that can help solve their problems. And my business coach, Coach Burke, Coach Mike Burke out of Nashville, says this is when problems are solved, money exchanges hands. So if you can solve people's problems, if you can take care of their needs, whatever they are, I don't care if they need a new air conditioner, you're in the air conditioning business, they got to have the electricity fixed, and you're an electrician, or they need furniture, and they're a furniture guy, or you're a lawyer, and they got some legal problems, or you're a doctor, and they have some health problems. If you can help them solve their problems, and take an interest in them. Most most people, what we find, what people want, they want to know that somebody's interested in what what their problems are, their health problems, and they listen to them about their problems, and they affirm that these are real problems. They're not just in their head. They're not just psychotic. They don't need antidepressants, any anxiety medication, sleep medication. They've got an underlying cause of the symptoms that they have. Most doctors have. Uh, a, a disorder called labelitis. They turn your symptom into a label. So if you got yep. you got uh, joint pain, now you've got arthritis. Well, what's causing the problem? Well, you've got mm-hmm. bloating, belching, and gas. So you've got the irritable bowel syndrome. Well, what's causing the problem? You got high blood pressure. What's causing it? We've got to get at the root cause of the problems. And people want you to listen to them to affirm that their problems really are real. That. Yeah, they're not just making up. People have better thing to do than go to doctors and make up problems, you know. And and many conventional doctors treat particularly women that way. They go like, "Honey, it's all in your head, or your hypochondriac, or that's what they're taught, and that's what they think." And they inevitably will say, "Your blood tests are normal, and here's an antidepressant, and here's an anti-anxiety medication. Be on your way. All the other ladies take them, and you'll feel just fine." And go read the women's pages while you're at it. <laughs> so yes to everything you just said. And I'm going to throw in and on top of it because you're minimizing one of the things you do. The moment somebody knows they have a guy, in your case, they're, you're their physician, they feel so much better. The, the worst thing in the universe is not to have options. If my computer blew up right now, I'm screwed because I don't, I don't have a computer guy. I don't have a computer guy. And so I wouldn't know what to do. And like, like most parents, I used to say, Peter, and wait for my son to come rescue me. But he's now got a wife and a couple of kids, and he's not around. So the, the fact that you have a guy, in your case, a physician, who says, okay, I've got this pain or whatever. I know I can make the call, and it's going to go away. That just knowing that that person is there and in the customer service context this is exactly what we're talking about. Knowing that this person is there, I can call this person and the problem will go away makes makes me feel 100% better. When I, I broke my arm uh, 18 months ago doing something really, really, really stupid, I love my orthopedist. And I, I broke my arm on a Saturday night and I knew it was broken and shh, don't tell anybody I didn't. I didn't go to the emergency room, whatever. I knew it was broken, and I just immobilized it. I said, I know Monday morning I can call at 7 a.m. 
and the answering service will call Karen, my orthopod, and she will squeeze me in. And I feel that, and so I could get through Saturday night and Sunday, knowing the problem was going to be taken care of. And that that's how people feel when you give them good service. I've got this problem. I need jewelry. I need a new air conditioning. I need whatever I need. Somebody's going to take care of it. I feel, I I just feel better. Right, and and along to uh, again underscore your point is that when you have an individual who takes care of whatever needs you may have, whether they're housing needs, clothing needs, medical needs, legal needs, whatever he, that individual's taking care of, and you know that they take care of you and they're interested in you and they want to do everything they can to help you solve that problem, I call that the way that's that would be called in medicine that would be called in the old days bedside manner that's kind of lost they don't even teach bedside manner in medical school they never did but you know it's the old uh, marcus welby deal he understood and and i tell our staff the way that we treat our guests we call our patients guests because we're in the hospitality model the way we treat our guests at the oc health and wellness center is as important if not more important than the treatment we prescribe them because we want them to walk out. We want to cultivate them, cultivate in them a sense of hope and a sense of well-being that somebody understands and they've got a plan to help me solve that problem. That causes huge amount of wellness in a patient just to have their mind settled that this problem can be corrected. They're not doomed to live with the way they feel the rest of their life. There's an underlying cause, there's an answer, and there's a, there's a practical treatment solution or recommendation that if they'll follow, that they know that they can get on the other side of that and feel healthy and well again. So it's the way we treat people, and, that, and that's why years, years ago I decided, uh, I was working with my, uh, the president of our company, and she and I discussed, she said, and I told her, I said, we've got to get out of the medical business. I'm done with it. I'm not going to have this anymore, but going around in green scrubs and, you know, we got a glass window and you knock on it, you know, sit down and wait and all this. And so I said, let's completely change our model. We read a book called The E-Myth, which you're very familiar with by Michael Gerber. And Michael Gerber's book talked about, you know, two things. One, providing systems and procedures that would allow even ordinary people to provide extraordinary service so people know what they're doing. In other words, Run your business like a business. I don't care what you do. Run it like a business, whether you're in medicine, law, whether you're, in, uh, whether you're an accountant, whether you're a, a car dealer. Run it like a business. Have systems and procedures by which your people know how to handle the customers. So the customers come in and know they're going to get uniform service. They know what to expect. And then, um, of course, Gerber talked about work on your business and not in your business. Make it the product and not not the uh, deliverable. The medical care and the vitamins and minerals aren't those are deliverables, but the product is the medical practice, and you have to develop it in such a way that people enjoy coming in. And they so we decided how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to adopt a hospitality model just like the Ritz Carlton did. I mean, we're just going to have a Ritz Carlton model or a Broadmoor model. When you walk in, you're going to meet a warm, friendly face. The people are going to be dressed nice in nice suits. They're going to smile at you. They're going to know your name. They're going to take care of you. Everybody you meet along the way smiles, and they care about you, and you feel this sense of 
wellness or well-being that you're taking care of, not just by the doctor, but by the girl that greets you when you walk in the door, by the, the person that provides you your vitamins or, or the pharmacist that provides you your, your bioidentical hormones or the nurses that draw your blood pressure, draw your blood. They're not doing a task. You're no longer a number, but you're a guest. So this whole idea of hospitality that was incorporated into our practice, and we had to change all the ambiance of the building so it doesn't, so it doesn't feel like a doctor's office. Feels like a spa. It feels got nice music. You got nice paintings, and people feel comfortable and they feel relaxed. And they go like, you know, why didn't everybody do this? Well, they can't because I talked to one of my doctor friends one time, and he goes, "Hotsy, I don't understand. Why would people go to you and you don't take insurance? Why wouldn't they go to a doctor who takes insurance?" And I said, "Steve, it's all about customer service." And now this is another doctor friend of mine, and he looked at me and he said, "What's that?" Now, when I say this, and, and it, I don't mean to sound mean, but if any restaurant operated their business the way most doctors, and, and as far as customer service, the way most doctors co- conduct their medical practices, they'd be out of business in a month. Nobody would go there. They just wouldn't go back because <laughs> the way they're treated. My wife occasionally has to go see has had to see another doctor, and she tells me, I go up there, and there's a window, and there's somebody sitting there, they're gruffy, and they got their head turned. I have to knock on the glass, you know, they go, open it up. You open it up, and they go like, sign, give us your insurance card, sign this paper, and sit down, go sit down. And they talk about everything right in front of the, you know, the whole crowded waiting room, and there's no privacy, and it just isn't a good experience, and, and I don't know. What I'm doing right now, I've, I've established, Paul, Hotsi Elite Physicians, and we're just building the plane to get ready to take off. And what we're going to do is train 5,000 doctors over the next 10 years, Lord willing, in our business and medical protocols, how, to, how, to, how for them to run an effective medical practice so they can have patients that are healthy and well and patients that get healthy and well will be glad to pay them cash for that, which means the patients are going to be happy and live a better quality of life. And the doctors are going to have more time, more money and more freedom to enjoy their lives because they're not going to be enslaved to the insurance model. So we're building that, uh, we're building that model and it's all built around guest service and customer service, which I'm going to have to train five thousand doctors to meet our goal. We've got to train 5,000 doctors on how to take a different view of medicine to see that it's more than just delivering a shot or delivering blood values or drawing blood tests, but it's about customer service. It's about get, we call it, we call it guest service. In fact, we even call it member service. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they become part of our tribe. The people that come here, one of, everybody wants to belong to something. That's why we have country clubs and the Rotary Club, and we've got the Optimist Club, and we got the we got workout clubs, we've got church. Everybody wants to belong somewhere, somehow, to a tribe. They want to belong to something. And so part of part of this in good, healthy businesses, what I've what I've noticed and experienced that businesses that are healthy and that do well attract a tribe. They want to identify with that business. And because they do, they become part of that business. They become, you know, your your guests, your customers, your clients. They become your best salespeople. 
they're the ones that are selling for you. I mean, you may have, you know, business have salespeople, but if you've got customers that are happy and glad all over and they love doing business with you, they're going to be telling other people about you. They're, inevitably, right. they're going to they tell family and friends. People say, why do you look so good? Johnny, man, you lost about 40 pounds. You got more energy. Or Jill, man, look at that smile. Your skin looks great. You lost weight. What in the world are you doing? They're so proud. They're going to be glad to tell people and refer people to you. And that goes for any business. So I, I just want to underscore how important this book called Customers for Life, written by Paul Brown and Carl Sewell, is if you really, if you have a business, if you're in business, even if you're employed in a business and want to grow in that business, you read this book and you begin to apply the principles that are laid out by Paul Brown and Carl Sewell, and you're going to find yourself a rising star in your business. No matter where you are, I don't care what role you're playing, you'll rise to the top because you get it. And you'll help, you'll help that business be successful. If you want to be successful in business, you've got to help the people you work for be successful, and you've got to help their customers be successful. If you do those two things, as Zig Ziglar said, you'll be successful. So, right. so Paul, for, for those out there that want to learn more about you and what you've been writing, how do they get in touch with you? How do they find out more about you and what you're up to? Okay, they can just write me directly. If they do Paul B. Brown at Gmail, I am happy to respond. There's actually a website, paulbbrown.com. Paul B. Brown, paulbbrown.com website. And for those of you that want to look at, you have a list of your books on your website, I trust. I, I, I do. The, the easiest thing to do is just go, go to Amazon and just type in my name. There's a, there's a very nice professor somewhere who writes about uh, history of Christianity. If you see some of those books, that's not me, but everything else that says Paul B. Brown on it. Oh. <laughs> well, Paul, I want to thank you so much for coming up, coming on our program. And I really want to thank you that you took that interest in Carl Sewell and went out of your way to go meet him and then learned about his business and how you ended up collaborating him to write a most wonderful book, Customers for Life, which the principles, this book was written in 1990. The principles are true. They were true a thousand years ago. They'll be true a thousand years from now. These are fundamentals that anybody who's in business at whatever level you are, whether you own your business, whether you're in sales, whether you're a management position, or whether you're just starting in somebody else's business, read this book, Customers for Life, incorporate it into your life, put it in your heart, embrace it, and just see if it doesn't pay off in spades in, in your long-term career in business. So, Paul, thank you for what you've done to really advance this whole concept of customer service in our society. I give you kudos for that. My hat's off to you, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Oh, thank you for having me, and it was fun, which is not something I can usually say about these things. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good God to hear. bless you. Have a most joyous Christmas season with your family, my friend, and look forward to, we look forward to visiting with you again in the future. Okay. Thank you again. Thank you. And if you want to do a 180 and take charge of your health and get your life back in an environment of extraordinary hospitality and guest service, just give us a call at 281-698-8698. That's 281-698-8698. Remember, everybody needs a health coach. Thank you for joining us today here at Dr. Hootsie's Wellness Revolution.
information provided on this radio program is neither intended nor implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice and is not intended to replace the services of a physician, nor does it constitute a doctor-patient relationship. You should not use information from this radio program to diagnose or treat a health problem or disease without consulting with a qualified health care provider. If you have or suspect you have an urgent medical problem, promptly contact a professional health care provider or call 911. Dr. Hotze's Wellness Revolution radio program advises you to always seek the advice of a physician or other qualified health provider prior to starting any new treatment or with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Any application of the recommendations from this radio program is at the listener's discretion.